RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. It's Monday morning and Health Hacks is here on a Monday on RCR. Dr. Glenn Davies from Reversal NZ is back with me. And I know you've been busy, but I'm not going to remind you of how busy you've been, but I know you've been busy doing PowerPoints and all sorts of things. And you've been out there speaking, but you're speaking with us today, Glenn. It's good to see you back again. Thanks for coming on. Well, thank you for having me again, Paul. And of course, people are getting um, a lot of benefit from, uh, well, our chats, but what you're saying fundamentally. And I wondered when we get to this one, I wondered when we get to alcohol. Mm. Yeah. And what you will say about it. I'm really interested to hear. Okay, Paul, well, I, I came across an excellent article which was written by a journalist called uh, Tim Requaith. I hope I'm pronouncing Tim's name correctly. And he's uh, basically done a little bit of a historical tour um, of alcohol. And at the end, he's answered the question, uh, is alcohol good for your health or bad for your health? So I thought we might uh, review this article because it's a fascinating history. So shall we have a look at it? Yeah. How far does it, how far back does it start? Yeah. So, well, I'll follow the format that Tim's used. Um, He started in 1991 and uh, there was a charismatic French researcher called Serge Renault. uh, And he appeared on 60 Minutes in the United States And uh, it was him that discussed the French paradox and came up with the idea that red wine has health benefits. Uh, I'm I'm sure you've you've heard this, and it was particularly looking at the compound called uh, Reservatrol, which is in red wine. So um, the day after that first 60 Minutes um, show, um, every US airline ran out of red wine. And there was a 40%, I think, worldwide increase in the consumption of of red wine following that 60 uh, minutes uh, interview. So that was interesting. And the French paradox is around this idea that uh, the French eat um, more saturated fat, yet have one of the lowest rates of ischemic heart disease in the world. Um, not that I believe that eating saturated fat is the cause of ischemic heart disease, but um, that was the belief at the time. And so he suggested the idea that the red wine was uh, negating the negative impact from the saturated fat. And that, that was the French paradox uh, that became a very popular and well-accepted idea. Well, I could see how that could be, because if you liked your wine, you could now justify its consumption on health grounds. Indeed. And then that was followed in 1995 uh, by the words um, that alcohol, basically the US uh, dietary guidelines, um, they removed the words that alcohol had no net benefit um, from the guidelines. So four years later, we saw this significant um, about face Um, to the idea that alcohol had net health benefits, particularly on the heart. So so that was sort of 1991, but let's go back a little bit to Prohibition days. So um, there was a period of time, and I think I'm right in saying that that was in the 1930s, where alcohol was completely 
um, outlawed and forbidden. And that was around the idea that um, alcohol was causing significant negative impacts on society. That was in the United <laughs> States, right? I don't think that was here. That was in the US. I think you're correct. Yes. Yeah. Al Capone and all those guys. Yeah. I'm benefited not, from that. Yeah. Not particularly, but there was the bootlegging as well, I think. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So, and there was quite a hangover um, from that. So this, this negative connotation around, around alcohol. And then that 1991 statement in the French paradox, it sort of changed people's thinking towards their cognitive bias, saying, you know, their, their cognitive bias was we like alcohol. Um, and then something came along saying alcohol is good. And everyone jumped on that uh, with excitement and not needing a lot of encouragement. So that's yeah, they piled how in. it looked. Hmm. And um, it got a little bit more nuanced slightly after that, and they talk about a, a J-shaped curve. So if you think of the, the Nike tick, so what they suggested was having no alcohol uh, was slightly bad for you. Having uh, a moderate amount of alcohol was good for you. But having a um, large amount of alcohol was very bad for you. So that, that sort of J-shaped curve. Um, and then they kind of looked at this a little bit further. And right through this time, the, there was still a, a big lobby sort of saying that alcohol, you know, um, in general has a negative impact on society. And that sort of went right through it. So there was still a little bit of tension and then there was quite an interesting sort of uh, flip that happened. And it went something like this. Um, it's bad to have no alcohol because you miss out on the uh, heart benefits. It's good to have um, a moderate amount of alcohol, but alcoholism itself is tremendously bad. So the focus moved to alcoholism and it sort of separated that group off from, from the total discussion. And a lot of the focus went on to addiction and alcohol and managing alcoholism as a separate uh, problem. So that's sort of kind of how it um, it ended up, you know, for for a little while. Um, how that J-shaped curve in terms of statistics, they talked said that moderate uh, sorry moderate drinkers had a fourteen to twenty percent. Um, benefit on their health. Um, so 14 to 20, did you say? Was, was what they were saying, yeah. But then this group of researchers, um, when they looked at it a little bit more carefully, they sort of um, flattened out that curve. And what, what tended, what they sort of realized was that zero alcohol group, you know, so the ones where they were saying there was no net benefit. A lot of them were people who had been heavy drinkers or possibly alcoholics who had completely abstained. But during the period of time when they were alcoholic, that had had some negative consequences on their on their health. So you had this group of non-drinkers who had historical poor health. He's sort of getting where I'm at, and that skewed yep. the statistics. Skews uh, the the picture a bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. That sort of really took away this idea that having, um, oh, it was called the sick quitter problem, the <laughs> sick quitter problem. So 
a lot of um, people had stopped drinking altogether, so they'd moved across into the zero alcohol but uh, group, but taken with them the negative consequences from the 20 years of... of from the half a bottle of gin a day, yeah. Yeah, so that, that was sort of uh, what happened there, the sick quitter. So that sort of flattened that first part of the J shape. Um, and then sort of over the years, we've had some more probably realistic research um, coming out. And instead of looking at the heart as a separate issue, people have looked at the whole, the whole issue, you know, and, and our whole health collectively. And it turns out that even though there may be a very slight benefit to your heart, which is probably around half a drink of alcohol three times a week. So it's a it's a tiny amount. That's way below what most people consume, I think. That is, you know, and it's it's not many people that have half a drink. Um, so so but there may be a slight benefit there. But when you look at things like cancer, particularly breast cancer, uh, that alcohol does seem to cause a negative effect on on cancer, particularly breast cancer, even at very small amounts. Wow. So okay. that, that J shape, even though J curve, even though it's been flattened, it probably only applies to the heart. You can sort of overlay another upside down um, J curve on it when you're looking at um, cancer. And the statistic here from, from this, uh, this excellent uh, article says that drinking a bottle of wine a week is like four men smoking five cigarettes a week and for women equivalent to smoking 10 cigarettes per week. So that's in terms of the cancer risk. Yeah, so possibly... I'm trying to quantify that risk because when I was a smoker years ago, I'd do 20 or 30 a day. (laughs) That's quite a lot. And that's what people used to do back then. I knew someone who did two packs a day, two packs a day. And... Are they still alive? I don't know. I'd have to check up. So five to 10, even though it's naughty, doesn't sound like a huge amount. No, and and you're, you're spot on with that because we'll, we'll talk about that um, when we draw the conclusion from this. But, but yeah, um, we're talking actually about small net risk and small net benefit um, at the end. Um, in this paper here... Uh, Tim has sort of spoken a little bit about the influence of big alcohol. Um, So, you know, so we've talked about big pharma. We've talked about big oil. uh, We talk about big food. um, And and we talk probably about uh, big uh, arms, uh, not not as big hugs, but... um, uh, war machines, kind of thing. Right. Yeah, there, yeah. Weapons. There is there is also big alcohol, and all of these lobby groups in the United States, particularly, are very powerful because they fund uh, a lot of the political movements. If I understand it correctly, is that right. your understanding? Yeah. So they can sort Don't, of. I think they call them donors, big donors. <laughs> yeah. Well, they. It seems that they can influence policy. Um, and big alcohol seems to be quite influential, not just in influencing potentially politicians, but also influencing research. You know, so we're seeing the, the studies that are done 
potentially being funded by big alcohol. So they are really wanting certain outcomes. So we're seeing um, almost the outcome being predetermined by who's funding the study. Uh, and we did see a whole lot of studies coming out saying uh, that red wine was good, but then it sort of moved into, well, actually all alcohol was good because we saw similar companies, um, similar studies coming out from beer companies and then all alcohol companies. So um, we went from thinking red wine was good to perhaps all alcohol was good. I was going to ask you about that, whether that was just red wine or all alcohol. Interesting what you've just said then. Yeah, yep, yep, okay. And then, um, yeah, so so there's sort of a bias in the way the studies are done and the science gets a little bit skewed by who's, uh, who's uh, I was about to say, rigging the studies, who's influencing <laughs> uh, the study design, perhaps. Um, so... Let's just move to where does this end up? Because I, I guess in the end, people are wanting to have the answer to the question is, is drinking moderate alcohol good for me or bad for me? Um, I know what they want to hear. I know what they uh, want to hear as well. And my conclusion um, from reading this uh, paper is there's probably a very small net detrimental effect um, from even drinking um, small amounts of alcohol, but it's it's very, very small numbers. So if we look at the increased risk of breast cancer, for example, it's something like one in 1,667. Okay. You know, so, so one, if people are drinking a moderate amount of alcohol, or let's say women are drinking a moderate amount of alcohol, they will increase their, or one extra person out of 1,667 uh, will develop breast cancer. So a very, very small net negative impact. And that's three, what did you say, half drinks a week? Yeah, we're talking about very, very <laughs> small right. amounts of alcohol. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where we... End up, I would say that we should not be drinking alcohol with the intention of it benefiting our health. Our health, however, there's probably very small negative impact uh, from drinking a small amount of alcohol. A a glass of wine with your meal uh, three times a week, I don't think is going to have a negative impact. However. So that was really the guts of what I wanted to talk about. Um, but there's a sort of a, a bigger impact on society. So when it's kind of okay to drink moderately, does that have a negative influence on people who drink heavily? You know, so like, does it sort of skew the society's attitudes towards alcohol, I guess is the question. And does it mean more people are going to drink heavily? if there's more people drinking moderately, I, I guess is the question from a society point of view. Yeah, unless you've got some hard research on that, I guess um, uh, common sense would say maybe. Um, I just thinking about those amounts, though, that we're talking about. I mean, I know people, everyday people, who will drink a bottle a night. Yeah. So that's I way beyond that's, three half glasses, man. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, you know, that's that I think is going to start to have negative impacts. And if if you actually, once we start talking about um, heavy drinking, and I, I think it is definitely worthwhile um, talking about that. And by the way, the definition of heavy drinker is um, someone that drinks more than their doctor. Okay. <laughs> How much do you drink? <laughs> very yeah, little. Very little. I drink um, half half a um, glass of wine three times a week, uh, Paul. Okay. Well, I have a I have a margarita two on a Friday night, and that's all I ever do. Okay. That's it. That's well, it. Well, I, I suspect neither of us will be having. Uh, particularly negative impacts. Uh, well, I've already had the hard thing, okay, and it wasn't <laughs> alcohol. But, but the point I'm making about that consumption, that is quite a normal consumption I'm talking about. Yeah, and I, I think that will have negative, um, net negative health benefits because I, I just had a little bit of a, a quick look at the negative impact of heavy drinking. So first of all, on the brain, so it has a depressant effects. So I'm not talking about causing depression. I'm talking about it. Um, it causes relaxation and sedation and a reduction in inhibitions, you know, so Dutch courage. So that's the inhibitory or inhibitory effect. It impairs cognition. So it can have a direct impact on, on memory and long-term memory. Um, it can affect attention, decision-making, coordination and judgment. I think that's all pretty well understood. Um, what's it actually doing to our neurotransmitters in the brain? So there's two important ones. Um, one's called glutamate, which is the accelerator. I think we've spoken about this. We have. We talked about uh, mental health. Glutamate's the accelerator and GABA's the brake. And imagine driving a weird car where you have to, to travel at 100 kilometres an hour, you have to have a half brake and a half accelerator. That's sort of where you want to be with your GABA and glutamate um, benefit or, you know, um, balance. But alcohol increases the brake and reduces the accelerator. So it's sort of calming everything down. It has a, uh, an anti-anxiety effect. And that's why it's popular. Uh, that's one of the reasons it's popular. Yeah, definitely. So that's what it's doing to your neurotransmitters. Um, it is a toxin. Um, and we know that because of a hangover. So a, a hangover is the toxicity effect of, of the, the alcohol um, until it's been effectively broken down by the liver. Um, alcohol's not good for weight because it's metabolized before everything else. So, you know, the, the sugars and the other um, nutrients have to wait behind the alcohol. That gets metabolized and stored first. Uh, so alcohol is not good for your weight. Um, it's not good for your liver in high amounts. Uh, not good for your pancreas. It's a cause of pancreatitis, which, which is bad news if you get that. Um, can cause irritation to the stomach and worst case scenario, stomach ulcer. It affects the absorption of B vitamins. Um, can affect your immune system. And really interestingly in men, it reduces testosterone uh, levels. So... You know, heavy drinking has definitely some negative impacts, not to mention the negative impact on families, careers, um, the ability to get up and go to work and perform well the next day. So there's a little um, little tour of, of, of alcohol. You reminded me, because I worked in nightclubs back in the day, 
and the constant problem was drunk people. And I have never seen such bad behavior. It, 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 for some people, it unlocks, well, I don't know what, but it can be scary and they can, they can completely change because we'd know these customers, you know, when they arrived kind of straight and when they had drunk too much and, you know, it was Jekyll and Hyde, that, that flip. And um, it's one of the, actually one of the things that put me off alcohol was seeing that and having to deal with those people and the, the no end of problems from them. And I used to wonder what it would be like, you know, if, the, if they were ever at home with in a family setting or something like that. Usually they were too young for that because it was that era. But I've no, since known people with drinking problems. Some have are happy, but others can be very belligerent. So I think it has a big social impact that might not necessarily be seen in the physical health of people necessarily. In fact, some people can drink a hell of a lot and are remarkably resilient. But, you know, there are other problems. And um, um, those don't seem to be talked about too much publicly now. There used to be campaigns trying to moderate drinking. And, of course, there was the six o'clock swill, wasn't there, back in the day to try and stop men from drinking too long so they wouldn't come home drunk. They, they just drunk more earlier and came home drunk. Yeah. The amount of people used to see yeah. falling off buses. You know. Yeah, I think um, that's an interesting concept, and, and it, it may have influenced the, the binge drinking culture, uh, which we see in New Zealand. You know, that idea that you got to drink really huge amounts of alcohol really quickly. In one hour. Um, yeah, so it may have had an impact on that. Yeah, but uh, and also um, over the um, pandemic, it, they were seen as an essential service. So people want to have access, don't they? They want to have, is that that self-medicating option? Could we could we put it like that, do you think? Yeah, I, I think it, it, it definitely is that for, for many people. It's complex, isn't it? It's, um, you know, many people are a wine connoisseur or craft beer connoisseurs and um and i think that is a fantastic addition to you know to our lives yeah um, the culture yeah yeah however I, you bring up some really good points and and binge drinking and um dangerous drinking is absolutely a real problem and and if if anyone listening to this feels that they may be in that situation or they may know people that are in that situation. You know, there's, there's definitely ways of getting help for that. Um, you know, the addiction services, uh, particularly AA, and, you know, I think it's really important that people do ask for help if they are in that situation. Yeah, and also there have been the developments in alcohol, haven't they, with the RTDs and everything, sort of pulling them more to like a soft drink. Um, kind of uh, perception of the product and and driving sort of younger in in its appeal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, I guess I guess the lobby's strong, right? Um, yeah, um, the big companies. You're talking about the United States situation, but we can assume that there's a powerful lobby here too. Yeah, I'm, I, I certainly when I look at the United States, it's it's a dramatic exaggeration of, of anything that we have in New Zealand, you know, whether you're looking at, you know, what I tend to look at, the influence of um, big food, 
but whether it's big alcohol, big tobacco, um, you know, whatever those lobby groups are, they're, they're powerful and subtle uh, in some ways. Yeah, and especially when it comes to research. And you mentioned that 60 Minutes example early on. That shows you the power of a little bit of good news uh, reported by what people would call a credible source. Suddenly you can't get it on the plane like within a day. That's that's how it works. So they, uh, you know, there, there needs to be awareness of that. And uh, what you've just brought up, I think, is really interesting. It's science ideally should be, uh, have no bias whatsoever. Science should just be looking for the truth. But I think it's very hard even for scientists not to bring their own cognitive bias into into things. And when we hear a scientific study that agrees with what we already believe or supports something that we want to believe, we kind of jump on it and we talk about that study a lot. And when something contradicts something that we want to believe or or that we don't want to know, we tend to ignore it. So, you know, science in its purest form is the truth, but we don't actually see science playing out in that way. And then the media has an important role here too, because the media will also talk about the science, which is going to be of interest to their readers or their viewers, you know, so. Or advertisers. Or advertisers. They're not likely to be putting as much emphasis on the studies, which are going to be unpopular. So, and and we've seen that, you know, a a lot, um, with nutrition, haven't we? You know, eggs are out, eggs are in, eggs are back in again. Um, we've just seen this with alcohol. We had prohibition. We had alcohol is good for your health. Hopefully, we're now back to a fairly neutral um, state. Um, but, you know, it's. I think that's perhaps how the media portrays science. Yeah, I think we've seen a, a bit of that in other areas recently. It just reminded me of something, a very funny thing I saw. Oh, about 20 years ago, and it was um, it was on TV, but I can't remember who, who actually made the thing. But uh, it was a, a blindfolded uh, wine tasting. Mm-hmm. And they got these experts in who were very well-spoken and could say all the right words and, you know, however they describe it going around the palate, all that sort of stuff. And they lined up these wines, and they were just your bottom-shelf wines, like $10 bottles, lowest you could get. And they put the blindfolds on, poured the wine, and and of course the experts expected them to be fine wines. And they would take a sip, and they would say, "Oh yes, that's the so and so and so and so." Anyway, they went through this, and then at the end, blindfolds off, and then they revealed that they'd just been drinking the the, the shittiest wine you could buy. And it kind of made a, a, sort of a funny point, you know, that you know, with these people experts or uh, what they were expecting to taste is what they tasted. It, it was it was quite funny. It sort of it, it lifted the veil a bit. Anyway, I'm sure there are people out there who really know their wines, but that 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 was funny. I remember that. I think um, I think the one of the points there is that um, our expectation has a massive impact on on our senses, doesn't it? You know, and and I think that's a fantastic example of. If you are expecting something to be fantastic, it's far more likely to be. Yeah, and they were, you know, able to describe, you know, what grape it was and where where it came from and things like that. It was all, 
you know, it was, it, it was all, you know, yeah. got it all wrong. <laughs> anyway, look, um, here's a question. In your professional role, and you're doing, you know, health checks on people, um, you don't have to give away any detail here, but is it a question you ask? What is your alcohol consumption? Yeah, and it's, it's, a, very, it's a very important question. And, and I, I guess we're really looking for people who have uh, dangerous uh, drinking styles. So either the, the binge drinking, um, uh, the two margaritas on Friday night, just kidding, Paul, just kidding, um, you know, or, or people are drinking large amounts regularly. That's, that's sort of what we're, we're looking for, yeah. And there'd be telltale signs, wouldn't there? Must Sometimes, um, but like you were discussing earlier, you know, some people have a very good tolerance um, for alcohol and other people don't. Um, so, no, not always. Um, and, and also it's not something that people talk about openly or easily. I think you need a, a, a fairly high degree of trust before people are likely to talk honestly about the amount they drink. Right. Well, they call them functioning alcoholics. I've heard yeah. that term before. Yes. Yeah. And and I think it's probably not having a negative impact on their, their work or necessarily their relationships, but that type of drinking might be having a negative impact on your liver or kidneys, for example. All right. So let's um, boil down just to end uh, usable information. Can we just hammer home the safe drinking level again? So yep. no one can say, hey, you never told me that. Okay, so the, the summary is that there is probably a neutral effect from uh, a small amount of alcohol. It may have a very slight positive effect on the heart and a slight negative effect on um, cancer, and it probably is fairly neutral. But we are talking about very small amounts of alcohol. We're talking about half a glass three times a week. Once you get over that very um, small amount, there probably is an increasing negative uh, impact from, from alcohol. So this is really to say it is a myth that you should drink alcohol for your health. That, that has now been disproven. Um, you may drink alcohol for, for many reasons, but you cannot say... Uh, now, after hearing this, that you are doing it particularly for your health, uh, do it for other reasons, for enjoyment, for pleasure, uh, for the way it um, tastes in small amounts. Uh, but probably you can't claim it has a health benefit anymore. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> well, cheers to that, Glenn. Cheers to that. <laughs> All right. Good to catch up again. We'll do another Health Hacks next Monday. Until then. Glenn Davies, look forward to, uh, to that occasion. Thank you, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.